0: Welcome to the Message Podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkdale. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 1145 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. So last week it was a suit, and this week it's taxidermy. So I was thinking this week as I was preparing uh, a lot, obviously, about taxidermy. So hunting season kicked off this past Saturday in muzzleloader season. I, I'm not a huge deer hunter, but I do appreciate when hunting season comes along because everybody that was fishing is now hunting, and so you can have the river to yourself. It's a blessing. <laughs> but I was thinking about taxidermy and how James is about to challenge us in chapter 2 about living faith. Because you would look at this and say, oh, that's a fish. I mean, it's got, it's got fins, it's got a tail, it's got gills. I mean, thankfully, it doesn't smell like a fish, right? Uh, but nobody was seeing this and thinking, oh, better hurry up and get it back in the water, right? Like, we, we realize that, that there's something about this that, that's lacking true life. Like, it's not eating, it's not swimming or breathing, it's not doing any of those things that constitute life, but yet it looks the part. It's a reminder of an encounter for me with a fish, and a lot of you deer hunters would understand that taxidermy is a, you know, a moment where you saw that big buck, you remember the stand, you remember uh you know, if you were bow hunting the, the shot that you took, you remember all those things. It's a memento of a past moment in time. And as we continue in our teaching series today, James is challenging us to have faith that doesn't just remind us of a past encounter with God, but to have faith that is live, that is living, breathing, acting, growing, strengthening. He's challenging us to have faith that is alive, that is vital in our growth. And as we're growing, the call is to have that alive faith now, to have faith Now, I welcome you back to our teaching series through the book of James. This uh, has been a little bit of a unique approach. You guys are starting to get the feel of it now as we've been in it uh, probably 10 weeks or a little bit more. Uh, We're going to conclude chapter 2 next Sunday, so we're taking some good strides and getting through the beginning of this letter. But uh, it's a little bit unique for us because this verse-by-verse Uh, Study, we normally would look at themes or or different passages, but this is a unique verse by verse study for us. And and what that does is it it prevents us from skipping over the hard text, right? Like when you've committed that we're going to start at the beginning and go to the end, you've got to take every passage as it comes. And that keeps us from, you know, maybe trying to skirt around some of the feel good or not so good texts. And today we're going to dive into a text that is far from a feel good text. Uh, It's a text that will challenge us. It's been challenging me. James is a little bit like that friend that you have that you can always count on to tell you the truth, even sometimes when you might not want to hear it, right? We all have that friend we can count on to kind of shake us out of it. And that's really a lot like what James is like. Back in chapter 1, verse 22, he challenged us with this idea that we're to be more than hearers of the word. We're to be doers of the word. We're to allow the word to live and breathe through us. It's to change us in every aspect of our lives. And at the beginning of chapter 2, as we dove in last week, James challenged us that our faith is not to be shown playing favorites with people. We're as Christians, as God's people. We're not to judge or make discernments off of exterior opinions of people. We're to embrace as God would embrace those we encounter. As we come into our teaching text today, James is going to insist that To have faith, to have authentic and genuine faith, it's to be shown through our everyday ordinary actions and our interactions with others, yes, but also how we plan and how we maneuver and how we look ahead. Our faith is to be alive and growing. It's to be sacrificial for the kingdom of God, to see His kingdom come, to see Jesus' will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And James will go on to say that if our faith does not do that, if our faith is not thriving and coming through us, that it's as good as dead. It might be like this fish replica. It looks the part. It may even look alive, but in reality, it is dead. We are committed to be true to the Word of God, and so we're going to journey carefully through this passage, and I ask as we, we're going to do this a little bit traditionally in that we're going to read some of the text, and then we're going to go back and start unpacking it. So would you turn with me today to James chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 14, and we're going to read through 23. And I just ask that you would open your eyes and your ears and your heart to what the Lord is speaking through James today. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. God's friend. At the very onset, it seems like there's a lot happening in this text, and indeed it is, but the truth of the passage, the essence of what James is saying is clear and simple. Faith without works is dead. As we embark this study today, I want to make note of two things that will help guide our journey through this passage, to help put handles on the bulk of this content First thing we should notice is James is, not, James is not comparing faith to works. That's not what he's doing in this passage. James is comparing living faith to dead faith. And so we need to keep that in mind as we journey through this text. And secondly, there is such a thing as dead faith. And James is challenging us and calling it out that dead faith is completely useless. The reality within the group of Christians that James was writing to is that there were some who had dead faith, that their faith in Christ was not alive, it was not flowing through them. And friends, if I'm honest, that's an alarming reality because we're the church. So this text is causing me to ask, how's my faith? How's your faith today? May we go to the Lord in prayer and ask That he would reveal himself to us through this text this morning as we journey through. Would you pray with me? Father, um, we come before you today and we want to be open. Lord, we we love your word. We want to be true to your word in the passages that bring us encouragement. And yes, Lord, press us on in our faith. But Lord, the ones that are also there to call us out. Lord, we want to be faithful and open and obedient and humble before your word. And so, Lord, that's our goal today. Lord, will you speak through us? Speak to us, Lord. Show us. Father, we love you today, and we invite your presence here, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, if you would, turn back with me to chapter 2, verse 14, and we're going to pick up and just start working our way through as we embark on this study. So, Chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? James is expanding this idea of being doers of the word one step further by asking us two rhetorical questions that are phrased and are structured in such a way that we're to answer no or in the negative sense. So his first question is, what good or what profit, maybe is your translation, what good or what profit is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? For James, the the truth is that that faith that has no deeds, that doesn't change anything about who we are, is in fact dead. It has no value. It's no profit faith James says must produce something it must be a long-lasting and ongoing response in and through our lives to the work that Christ Jesus has done in us if it's to be of true value the second question he poses us here again anticipating a no response he says can a faith that produces none of those things none of those actions can it really save a person and he's saying no Faith that doesn't change you, that doesn't transcend your everyday life, it's it's not authentic, it's not going to save you. Commentator Ralph Martin has a great observation here of this text when he says, faith is not seen by James to be deficient as though it needed something else extra, but he contends that true faith must find some expression other than verbalization or pious sentiment." So what he's saying is true faith must not just be a verbal profession. It must not just be something we talk about and we turn and live the way we want to live. True faith that is vital and is growing and is flourishing must show evidence through our everyday lives. So here in this text, we see that James is not opposing the Apostle Paul here or the reality that it is truly by faith that we are saved. That's not what's really going on here. James is insisting that the faith we claim in Jesus, the faith that brings us into relationship with him, it is so radical, so transformative, it's so grand that it must change us. It must flow through us if it's real. And we understand time and time again that it's not our works that create our salvation. We don't do things to earn our salvation. We do good deeds because we've been saved, because there's a new life, there's a new source flowing from us. And that's how the Apostle Paul and James are reconciled here in what could at first glance seem like a contradiction. And so from this initial two questions, James moves on to give us an example in verse 15 through 17. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but actually does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, at first... At first, look, we don't know if this was a story that actually happened within the church or if James is is making a hypothetical example, but we know as close as he is continuing to repeat mistreatment of the poor that it must have been a real concern within the church. And so the brother or sister that's depicted in this story is one who is short of their basic needs of food and clothing. They would have been either completely naked or not had the clothing fit for the occasion. Like if you would have been out today in shorts and a t-shirt, it wasn't appropriate clothing and the idea of being without food here, it's, it's not that they missed one meal, it's that they're continually lacking, they're continually in need. And today, we might think of, if we wanted to bring that into our context, perhaps of a homeless person that we would pass on the road or see in the town. James points out that the response from the people within the church when they were faced with this need, it, it was one of, of well wishes, of good sentiment. Certainly, they would have paused long enough to say, I, I'll pray for you. Certainly they would have done those things. And James here is not condemning those prayers or those well wishes, but he's calling us out that there was a failure to meet the real need that was present right before them. It was a failure of faith to be active, to take a step beyond sentiment into real action. That's what James is highlighting here in this text. And in verse 17, that's where he connects that idea that the failure to act, the failure to have deeds leads to dead faith at this point in the text it would be easy to say well well, shame on them for missing that opportunity right like it was right before them what were they thinking but let's not be so quick to distance ourselves or to even say shame on you what what might James say about your faith today what would James say about my faith based off of your reaction to the homeless person that you passed this past week on the interstate or on Route 33 there outside of Harrisonburg Crossing? What, what would James have to say? If James followed you around for a week, would, would he see a faith thriving or a faith dying? Perhaps if you couldn't carry a Bible or we we weren't allowed to come to church, how would people know that you're a Christian? How would people know that I'm a Christian if I didn't preach the Word on Sunday or carry a Bible or do those things? Would people see enough of a difference to know that there's something new? There's a new life inside of us. That's the reality that James is calling us to here is that the work of Jesus is so transformative that it must make a difference in our lives. Let's pick back up in our text today in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. James does something a little unique here in a writing style. He brings in an imaginary character, right? He's bringing in an objector into this text. And that's who is saying, when he says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James is using that style to ramp up and clarify his own opinion, his own position here. And so the objector in this passage is proposing that faith and works are really two separate things that don't necessarily have to be held together. And we would still see this position put forth in our world today. You would find those who that affirm that once they place their faith in Jesus, that what they do doesn't matter because, oh, I'm good. Oh, I'm forgiven. I I prayed that one time back then. I'm straight. I'm good. And then we would also have maybe the feeling or the reality that I'm over here and I'm trying to earn my way to heaven. Man, I'm trying to stop cussing so that God will be happy with me. I'm trying to stop do all these things so that I'll be good enough. And James say, saying, no, 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 that, that's not what it can be. Faith and works are so intertwined, they must not be, and they cannot be separated. And so he counters this position by suggesting that there's only one true way we can prove that our faith is genuine, and that's by how we live, that it's an outpouring of the life of Christ Jesus from within us. And in verse 19, he drives this point home even farther to the objector by comparing his faith to that of the demons. And that's a really strong idea here because the objector is shown in the text to know the Jewish Shema, and that was that was the foundational doctrine for the Jewish faith, that God is one. And, and for our context today, you might think that that's somebody that can recite John 3.16. And he says, that's great, that's awesome that you know that, but even the demons believe in God, and yet they shudder. They're terrified of God. I mean, and that's, that's have you ever heard the... The idea of a mic drop moment where the argument's over. That's 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 really this this what he has just done. That that faith without works, faith that's not changing, that's not coming through us, is on the same level as the faith of demons. James doesn't let up there. And in verse 20. He again is referring back to the objector that he brought into the conversation. He says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? James feels so passionately about this that you can almost sense that his emotion is rising. The you foolish person, he's calling out that objector again. And the faith that he's been talking about in verse 14, faith without works has been described as no good or of no profit. In verse 17, it's called dead. And here it's described as useless or ineffective. And yet the objector that James has brought in refuses to see it, refuses to acknowledge its deficiency. And James is trying so hard in this moment to help us see the error of their ways. The error that faith without works is useless. And he moves to call on uh, another objection, another story, another proving point. He's saying, friends, you, you have to see this. You have to see this necessity. He's calling on our faith that it's to transcend what we do on Sundays to visiting the sick in the hospital, to caring for those who have lost loved ones, for volunteering in food pantries, to the clothes closets. He's crying out, won't you see this? And he moves in, and to make another proving point in bringing him in the story of Abraham, the father of the faith. Many sons had Father Abraham, Right? And he's pointing in verse 21, he says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? For the Jewish faith, James could not have grabbed a more high profile, a more well-known story than the story of Abraham. And today I have a short clip just to tell the story that James is referring to here today. Provide a sacrifice, my son. Trust in God. (laughs) No. <laughs> This was the story that James pulls from to show how, how faith must transcend, how faith must be our foundation of everything, how active, how thriving it must be in our lives. In verse 22, James says, You see that his faith, referring to Abraham, and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Within our text today, James is really emphasizing three different aspects of the living faith that Abraham possessed. And first we see that that Abraham's faith was not confined to a reordering of his thoughts or merely a verbal profession. Throughout his life, Abraham's faith literally guided the steps. It literally guided him to the next call, the next destination in his life. And we see the ultimate point in that when he was called to offer his son Isaac. We also see that Abraham's faith found its fulfillment through his actions. That it was true worth was displayed in his actions and what he did. And finally, the genuine nature of his faith was shown to be accepted by God as Abraham was called his friend. Everyone reading this letter from James in this time would have understood uh, that there was no higher call, there was no higher example that James could pull from to illustrate this idea of faith without works is dead. He points to Abraham as the ultimate example that our faith and our works must ever be connected They're inseparable if they're to be genuine and pleasing to God. As the band comes today, there's so many pieces of this passage that really calls us to pause. And I I confess to you, I struggle to communicate this well today. Because it's calling our faith out. It's calling us to humble ourselves before the Lord and ask. And as I've been through this study this week there's one piece that keeps coming over and over and over into my mind and that comes from verse 20. And I invite you to look at with me one more time. He says you foolish person and we know that he's talking to the objector in the story but he asks a question. He says do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Do you want to know Imagine for just a moment with me an emotional James saying, are you crazy? How how do you not see this? Do you really want to know that your faith without works is useless? Do you really want to know that the faith you hold and you claim and you give every Sunday to and you tie to might actually be useless because it's not producing from your life? Do you want to know? Do you want to know? I think James gets so emotional here, not because he's mad, but because he cares. I think James knows that believers, we can get comfortable. We can even get complacent in our faith. Our faith becomes just like this fish just hanging around on a wall, a memento of maybe a past encounter where we ran into God or God did something for us, but the reality is that we're comfortably dead and completely useless. James is really acting like a good father in his passage, calling us out. Calling us to consider our faith. He knows to withhold this truth is not love. We know that no discipline ever seems seems good in the moment, but we depend on it to be trained in righteousness. James loves us too much not to bring this truth before us. And I believe James is passionate here because he knew so well the teaching of Jesus. If, if you read back in Matthew 25, you have a parable of, of the sheep and the goats. And these groups of people were separated by their actions, by how their faith was lived out every day. And in that story that Jesus is telling, those who are promised inheritance, those who are promised eternal life with God, those were the ones who who fed the hungry, who gave water to the thirsty, who clothed the naked, who visited the prisoner. Their faith was active. That's who's pronounced righteous. And on the other side of that, that you see a group of people who failed to see, they failed to act, their faith was not living, and they missed Jesus. And therefore, they will forever spend eternity apart from him. I think that's why James is so passionate here. He doesn't want us to miss it. He doesn't want me to miss it. He doesn't want you to miss it. He doesn't want to get to the end of our lives and we find out that our faith wasn't what we thought it was. And so we ask again, do you want to know? Do you want to know that being a Christian means God is in every aspect of your life, flowing through you everywhere you go, every time you say hello to someone? Do you want to know? Your finances, your schedule, your family. Yes, how you serve those who are mistreated or neglected in our community. Will we humble ourselves and ask the Lord to examine our hearts today? To examine our faith to determine if it's dead or alive. I'm right there with you feeling the weight of this text and, and quite honestly how, how bristling it is. Because we, we hold our faith dear. I've been over and over asking the Lord this week, Lord, show me. Show me those places where I've grown comfortably dead or completely useless. Lord, show me. How does this transcend my life as a father, as a husband, as as a pastor? I don't want to just assume because I'm on staff at a church that I'm immune to this. I don't think that's it. What does it look like? Do you want to know? friends, as we close in prayer today in worship, will we humble ourselves and just ask the Lord to show us, as uncomfortable as it might get, will we ask the Lord to show us those places, to show us how faith, how our faith is to be lived out in our everyday lives. For Abraham, that the story that we looked at, it started with step one. It started with the first yes. And that leading to that first yes is all God's grace. And once you say that yes, it's all God's grace and His mercy that equip you and strengthen you to live that way. And we can count on His faithfulness to carry us onward. Will we say yes today? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Father, that you love us too much to leave us comfortably dead or completely useless, God. But you are calling us into service in your kingdom. That the faith, we place our faith in you, Lord Jesus. And that's so radical, the life that you birth within us, that it must be shown. God, will you help us today? Will you show us those places in our lives, Lord? In our homes and our jobs and our schools and our hobbies, Lord, will you show us what it means to have living, thriving faith? Lord, our care for the vulnerable, our care for the poor within our, within our influence, Lord. Will you show us, Lord? You are so gracious. You're not mad. You're just calling. You're just calling. Lord, will you show us your name? Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.